CD, the two recorded and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it, as you know. D2, good morning. Good morning. How's it been rolling with you? It's good. Uh, lack of sleep recently due to uh, six-month-old sleeping patterns. Other than that, I'm great. If only six-month-olds actually had patterns to their sleep. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> It'd make it a little That's bit easier. True. At least we could adapt and become nocturnal if they did have a pattern. D2, I got a question for you, as usual. What is the classic movie that first comes to your mind? Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre. You know what? That's a very good answer. Modern classic, baby. Man, that, one that... Of the, one of the great pieces of film history. Nacho Libre is one of those movies where nobody else can act as that character. Nobody can pull that off the way he does it from start to finish. Oh. Yep, Jack. I mean, yeah, no one can do it like Jack, man. <laughs> How does that scene go? He says, um, um, Stone Soul, why are you an atheist? <laughs> and then he, he takes the bowl and he shoves his face in the bowl. Uh, yeah, that's a funny movie. It's it reminds me of um, Napoleon Dynamite, except Napoleon yeah. Dynamite's in a league of its own with the budget. Yeah. You could yeah, tell they yeah. spent like five hundred bucks total yeah, on the budget. Yeah. Not so Libre is clearly more expensive than that, but the same kind of humor. Yeah, sen- uh, similar humor. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Nacho Libre is the one that stuck with me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Man, such a good movie. Yeah. Just wholesome humor. They don't really make it like that anymore. Man, I, I have met one too many people that have never watched Lord of the Rings. I figured after coming to this church, being a Reformed church and all, everybody should love J.R.R. Tolkien. So I figured everybody watched Lord of the Rings as many times as I have. But I've met... Quite a few people just in the past two to three months, at least five people that have never seen Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And they're the only five people that I know at that that have never seen Lord of the Rings. For me, Lord of the Rings is the classic movie. Now, it technically doesn't count as a movie because it's a trilogy, um, but I, I still count it just as one story. And the soundtrack, which... Coming to find out the soundtrack is on Spotify. I've seized that advantage quite often. Um, you know, writing when, my when paper. You, when you're waking up in the morning and you feel like you're going into battle. <laughs> uh, when I'm on my last stretch in a paper, I'll turn Lord of the Rings on, turn it up super loud. Da 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 Man. The whole story, so I got the books. Erica got me the books for my birthday. Beautiful Recently? books. Yeah. Recently? Yeah, two months ago. Oh, okay. Haven't had hey. time to read I've read The Hobbit. Hey, happy happy late birthday, by the way. Thank you. Super late, but I'll consider it. it. I read The Hobbit, which The Hobbit apparently is a children's book compared to the other ones. The Hobbit was good. I mean, I, I went on a rant about how, how the movie is not anything like the book. Still recommend both of them, by the way. But 
Um, I haven't had time, which I was so excited about getting the books mm-hmm. that I knew that I wasn't going to have time to read them as soon as I bought them. Yeah. I just wanted to have them. So they're sitting on my desk. Actually, not my desk, on my shelf. As soon as things slow down, um, seminary, I'd be digging into those things. Classic. You can't get more classic than that. I know that, I mean, you, you got stuff like Nacho Libre and stuff. Everybody knows about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Everybody. No, uh, you know, Nacho Libre is a personal favorite of mine, but I wouldn't call it actually a classic when it comes to film and that sort of stuff. Mm. But I'm not a film guy. I'm just going to like what I like. Yeah. But um, have I ever showed you my... <clears throat> so I've got a set of The Lord of the Rings at my house. It's a second printing. No. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, next time you're next time we have y'all over, I'll, I'll bust them out. So if it was second printing, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Um, the introduction has the publishing dates mm-hmm. of all of them. I'm trying to remember what they were. 50s? Mm-hmm. So the second printing would be... I think it's 54 or 56. Wow. I, don't, I don't remember. But yeah, it's the, sec- it's the second... Um, yeah, I mean, it's the second print run. How did you find it? There used to be a sweet bookstore in Little Rock. It was... Uh, basically, it was... the It was the bookstore connected to the Little Rock Library... And basically, they it would sell all of the library's donations that they didn't want. Oh wow! In in the library, and so I I would drop off book donations there, and it was three floors, and the whole third floor was, uh, basically, uh, it, it was their religious books, and I happened to found the find the set on one of the workers' desk on the third floor because I was up there looking through, you know, uh, uh, the religious section, uh, looking through the Bibles that have been donated there. Bought a, I bought a few Bibles from there and stuff like that. And I noticed the set on this employee's desk. And uh, it was clearly someone who was working, ch- like, checking in books or, like, receiving in books for for the bookstore. And so I'm like, I'm going to buy, I'm, le- I'm buying this one way or the other today. And so I just take it off the dude's desk and I'm walking around looking for an employee saying, Hey, I found this on somebody's desk upstairs. Is it for sale? And, <laughs> and they didn't even have it priced. And so they said, sure, we'll sell it to you. And they just looked it up. They just looked up the price of whatever the Lord of the Rings set would be on Amazon. Oh, and wow. That's, and that's what I paid for. Oh, man. So you really took advantage of their lack of yeah. effort. And I have no idea what if it's actually worth anything, but it's cool. Like, I just wanted it because it was cool. Yeah, just the idea of that second printing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they've got the sweet maps of Middle Earth in the back that you you know you lay on the table and fold out. And yeah. Everything. yeah, which apparently you really need that map because t- Tolkien does a lot of world bidding, building. Um, and if you can't see the map in your mind, it makes it harder to read from what I heard. The only knock on the Lord of the Rings from what I've heard, he, he's so tedious in his details with the world. So you haven't read them yet? You've no, no, no. You've just seen the movies? I've just seen the movies. Oh. And so I've kind of okay, gotten into okay, this, okay. I've gotten into this 
desire of comparing movies with books. Um, and, and I want to see the difference between them. I know that the book is going to have more detail. It has to, I mean, it, it's super thick. Yeah. The books are great, man. Yeah. You're gonna, if, yeah. You, if you really like the movies, you're going to just absolutely love the books. Good. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah. There was something I was going to say. Oh, yes. It's funny that it was on the religious section, which first off, I'm sure you can find a ton of good books from the library from that. Never thought of that because I'm sure they're getting those donations. People don't realize what they have. Library gets it. They don't realize what it is, and they don't see all the theology nerds drooling over those kind of books who are just absolutely running to get those opportunities. Well, they wouldn't. uh, I mean, this is getting tedious on the podcast, but that was just a that guy had all sorts of books on his desk. I just, his office just happened to be on the third floor. Yeah. Yeah. Just providential. Otherwise I would have never saw it because I wasn't, I wasn't looking anywhere else in the bookstore. Yeah. I was like, Hey, where's the, you know, where's the, uh, Bibles, theology section. Yeah. Let me church history section. Let me check that out. And then go. It's funny. It was on the religious floor anyways, because you know, that, goes back to what a lot of people have claimed about Tolkien, which I know that Tolkien and Lewis, C.S. Lewis hung out a lot, same time period, same ideas of taking religious concepts, applying them to stories. And, you know, you have people saying, oh, Lord of the Rings based off of uh, Christianity. I'm like, uh, I can't really see it. I, I see a few things that seem similar to Christianity, but I would, uh, I would dare say it's a religious story. Actually, Jordan Peterson said it's a religious story, too, coming to my mind. He said it's heavily religious. That is clearly Christian. Man, I'm I just kind of missing that. It's, it's clearly Christian-inspired, but um, Tol- Tolkien isn't trying to lay out the... Um, but he's not trying to lay out the gospel, yeah. or he's not trying to mirror the gospel story onto a fictional fantasy where Lewis is doing much more of that in the Chronicles of Narnia Mm. just just in my own just in my own reading but it's clearly I mean Tolkien is clearly um kind of building a spiritual world influenced by a Christian doctrine history worldview that sort of thing Mm. and that that comes through much more in the books than in the movies. But yeah, the I don't know if you know this, they were it's not just like they they hung out, they were they formed the same literary club called the Inklings. Mm. And they were actually writing and reviewing each other's work at this pub in Oxford. Wow. Yeah, and you can go visit the pub. It's called the Eagle and the Child. Um I've never been ever been to that part of Europe, but you can go there, and it's where the Inklings would meet and create literature, pretty much. Drop them literary bombs, lyrical geniuses. Um, and I'd love to be in a conversation. Yeah, with, suppose. With. Uh, so Amazon, I'm sure it's garbage, but Amazon has created. I don't know if it's out yet, but they've created a kind of like an expansion on. Middle Earth, it's like 
it's not an, a remake of the Lord of the Rings, but it's building off of that world. And then Netflix is supposedly coming out with a new Chronicles of Narnia. But Am- I, don't, I don't have a lot of trust in either of those. I was supposed to say, <laughs> Amazon will show you that critical race theory was around since Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> How do you have critical race theory in a world of goblins? We should write it. We should write an article: critical race theory in a world of goblins. Just because it has a good title, I mean. <laughs> hey, I'm all for I'm all for developing titles <laughs> and having nothing else, and then just going with that. Hey, that's a cool title. I have to write about that. Anyways, classic cast episode six, Daniel. We have a ton of stuff coming up um i'm super encouraged by how interested people were in listening to episode one so at the time that this episode is airing will air or or, no at this time right now that we are talking um, the only episode that's been dropped is episode one we have dropped the premiere preview of episode two we plan to do that every monday give some give the people something to look forward to for episode uh the episode dropping on um fridays but man, you know the statistics that I see from uh, Anchor, our our um, platform, and Spotify and Apple. It turns out it's more than just nanny and mom that are listening to our podcast. So we got to watch what we say. <laughs> Check it out, man. We're big time. Hey, uh, I got some ideas about T-shirts people can pre-order. You might as you might as well. Go in and quit your job today, man. I think I'm going to go all in. Just quit. Just go. On the spot. <laughs> go to my manager. Hey, um, I want to let you know that I quit. I'm going to pay the bills with the podcast. We might have Joe Rogan on. Over Overnight sensation. <laughs> so, yeah, man, yeah. Dude, dude, we can, we can probably do that. Just, uh. If you just keep teasing that Joe Rogan will eventually be on, we'll make our living off of this. You know, um, you know what would really create a salary for us on the spot? Joe Rogan, Jeff Durbin on the classic cast, and we just watch him go at it about this stuff. You know, that'd be, a, seriously, on a serious note, that'd be a great podcast. I don't really listen to Joe Rogan, but I know this super famous big podcast, and it's just a sign that if you have Joe Rogan on your show that you've made it as a podcast, which is why we will never have Joe Rogan on our show. <laughs> well, that, that among other things. Yeah, yeah, and the vulgar side. Yeah, not really our genre. Not how we do these things. Other big things, man, we have a guest speaker coming on. I've announced that. Um, special guest. Special guest. You and I talked about it. Um, and then right after we talked about it, I reached out to him. He's a good friend of ours. Uh, you know him real well. He's he's gone through GBTS, the first Masters of Divinity graduate from GBTS, Alan Nelson from Perryville. He's the pastor of Second Baptist in Perryville. Um, I had the great privilege of being able to preach at his church. Um, very good friend of ours. Um, he goes to the same church that the Ole, Ole Miss athletic director goes to. He's good friends with athletic director, so he's he's technically a famous guy, author of two different books. You're gonna you're gonna have to explain that. Ole Miss athletic director goes to Second Baptist Church in Perryville, yes, Mississippi, or no, 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 Perryville, Arkansas. He is from Perryville. His parents. Oh, okay, okay. His parents go to Perryville Second Baptist, and he often goes 
No way. Yes. Yes. What in the world? Alan, Alan will just randomly send me pictures of him. Hey, our the, the old Miss Athletic Director, Keith Carter. That's his name. Keith Carter's here. Hey, man. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. And I saw Keith Carter, the AD, at a uh, Ole Miss football game. And I actually walked up to talk to him. I said, hey, um, uh, I'm from Conway, Arkansas. I know Alan Nelson. And Keith goes, you mean Quattro? <laughs> <laughs> that means he actually knows him. Yeah, he, he really knows him. He it's actually not, knows him. Yes, no. it's not just like, hey. Who is this Alan guy you yeah. speak of? Yeah, it's not like Alan saw him on the other side of a you know, football yeah. stadium or something and said, oh, yeah, I know Keith. They they really know each other pretty closely. So Alan hasn't got you the – Quattro hasn't got you the hookup with tickets or anything yet? No, he hasn't. But you know what I'm thinking? I'm I'm thinking – he may be able to get us a hookup of having the Ole Miss AD on the classic. House. Oh my gosh! <laughs> we could we could make a compromise for that. He can discuss classic uh, uh, college football. Yeah. Oh, dude, that is a great idea. I think we should pursue that. Anyways, big things. We are 17 minutes into this podcast now. Pretty warmed up. Um. We're getting into the idea of revelation. In fact, that is literally what this chapter in chapter 9 is, the idea of revelation, which is the first chapter of part 4 in volume 1. And part 4 is revelation. So we've talked a lot about revelation up to this point. Um, just by the way that Vivink works. But he's really about to dig in into the concept of revelation. And I made a comment last week. I, I am no Bavink expert. When I say that I'm a staunch Bavikian, that doesn't imply that I know everything about Bavink. That just implies that I am staunchly uh, for the way Bavink does theology. The way that he categorizes things, breaks things down, and the emphasis that he puts on the things that he emphasizes, which makes me a staunch by Vinkian, I guess you could say. And it sounds cool. But Bavink goes into Revelation, something that he's talked about quite often, and he he starts to he starts to do what he does with this chapter. And in the first heading of this chapter is I'm going to tell you exactly where he's going to go with this. The first and the last heading of this chapter is just absolutely great. Number one, no religion without revelation. And then he closes the chapter with the heading called The Impossibility of Scientific Neutrality, Mm. which rings Vantillion bells. Yep. Um, I don't I don't think that people have ever claimed that Van Til came up with the idea of non-neutrality. Um, but it, it's just cool to see the line of thought uh, that Van Til, Bonson kind of talking, which they, they branch off, go different directions. But anyway, all, all that to say, of uh, we have the idea of revelation here. I'll, I'll start us off with a quote. Throw you a dime, lob pass, let you slam dunk it home with an idea off the dome, because that's what you do as D2. On page 285, 
Herman Bavink from his volume one, Prolegomena, the first words of theology, says this. Revelation and religion are so closely related, so intimately interwoven, that the one stands or falls with the other. Religion is essentially distinct from science, art, and morality, and is so because it puts human beings in relation not to the world or to their fellow human beings, but to a supernatural, invisible, external power. Cannot have religion without revelation. What's your thoughts, D2? Yeah, my, uh, I mean, this is clearly building, it keeps building on, um, you know, pre, uh, pre, you know, previous chapters, past episodes that you and I are talking about, um, for, you know, for good, for good reason. Uh, this is, you know, just by way of reminder, this is volume one, Bavink's Reform Dogmatics, four volume, four volumes, right? Uh, volume one is prolegomena. It's first things or foundational things. Um, and so uh, this is, you know, classically where people talk about, um, you know, presuppositions or in systematic theologies, presuppositions, doctrinal revelation, uh, basically kind of answering the questions of, of uh, epistemology. Okay, how do we... We're about to, you know, I'm about to put forth these doctrines. How do I know? Where do I get these from? And so, uh, Bavink, you know, some uh, some students in reading him when I was in seminary or some of the students here, they'll say that he's re- repetitious. Um, and I don't see him as st- strictly repetitious, but he keeps building on this line of thought, like you've mentioned. And um, and so he might seem repetitious at times, and I think this is an example of that. But so he's talking about the same thing again, in that. Um, but but I love his emphasis. I mean, this is what we've been talking about. I love his emphasis that it's like, hey, this isn't. Um, this isn't just any other subject here. There's a there's an extra element to it, and that extra element is religion. And the thing about it is, is he's he's laying forth the necessity of revelation or religion, saying, "Look, we don't have Christianity. We don't have a relationship to God, or or really in the church, one another." He's not making that specific point in this quote, but we don't have any of this. We don't have anything that we're talking about. He can't write anything that he's writing or about to write without the revelation of God. Like that's the catalyst. That's the foundational that's the foundational thing, the foundational element. Like you and I talked, uh I think it was a couple episodes ago, but uh this is a God who speaks. This isn't a God who stays hidden and then we've gotta search try to search him out or find him or get little glimpses of him. Um, as he's hiding from us, but this is a God who reveals, and that's the foundation for for everything, and that's what makes religion 
distinct is because this is because we're worshiping a divine uh, a divine being um uh, a living god and so by his communication to us that's establishing a relationship that we we worship a god the god of the bible the one true god of the universe is a covenantal god he's a um relational god in that he relates to man and you know that's the way that i interpret all all revelation is um god's you know the way i the way i see things is that god's always relating to humanity in terms of a covenant mm. um either in this you know we don't want to get into covenant theology but uh it's god god's just not relating to man without any sort of uh, kind of terms or conditions or understanding of the relationship between between God and man. It's not just this revelation floating out in nowhere. It's revelation coming to us based upon God's will and God's plan and God's um, Lord lordship over all of creation. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. And and he he explains and says something along those lines on the same page. He says, if, if indeed religion consistently implies a relation to God, it follows that this deity must exist to the mind of the believer, must reveal himself, and hence to some extent be knowable. Religion is either an illusion or it must be based on belief in the existence, revelation, and knowability of God. And you're talking about how this deity... As he says, this God of our religion is a covenant God, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And so we, we can't know this God without being brought into covenant with him to some capacity. Um, and, and we did not dream up this God. We did not, you know, create this God, make up this God. This God has revealed himself. Right. And revealed himself in such a way where our religion is inconceivable without him making himself known, which um, he's going to go into how our knowledge of him is, you know, first and foremost religious. And, and we, we've talked about the scientific foundations and stuff, and we've, we've mentioned those things, but first and foremost, this enterprise, this, this task is a religious um, and not scientific task. Uh, meaning we don't build blocks scientifically and, and you do, do all sorts of um, scientific exercises for this, but be, with it being a religious thing, that means that this, this God has, has done that. It, it, it begins with God yeah. and goes to man yeah. via revelation. Now I was flipping, flipping through this last night, um, it's kind of in preparation, mental preparation for this morning. And under the same thought in the same heading on page 286, he says this, all this becomes even more obvious when we analyze the idea of redemption. All the religious conceptions that constitute the content of dogmatics revolve around three centers. They contain a doctrine of God, 
a doctrine of humanity in relation to God, and a doctrine concerning the means of restoration and of maintaining communion with God. Humanity's relation to God must also be seen in a twofold sense. Number one, as it is in fact empirically, and number two, as it ought to be ideally. So our relation to God as it is in um in our with our knowledge of him um and then number two in brief a theology and anthropology and soteriology as it ought to be ideally hence in brief a theology and anthropology uh, and soteriology and again in all three areas it is clearly demonstrable that they are inseparably bound up with the concept of revelation one of our tasks in this podcast um, is for us to talk about Bob Inc. in such a way that it makes people want to read Bob Inc. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's in, in some sense, though, you know, we're not getting paid or anything like this. We just want people to read Bob Inc. We're advertising this book to people. So we're not going to go through this chapter and read bit by bit by bit and, and give you the summary of this. This is not a summary of chapter nine. Right. The reason that I bring that up is the quote that I just read is a reason why you should read Bob Inc. He takes ideas. And like you said, he does not repeat himself over and over and over, which if it is repetition, I like repetition. It helps me remember things, but he, he has this line of thought that you can follow. You can find some key terms, key ideas, key words and follow his thought. And he often comes to the end of the railroads with a short summary, with a bullet point summary. We all love bullet points. And that's what he just gave us in this quote. He gives us three bullet points. Number one, it it contains a doctrine of God. Number two, it contains a um, doctrine of humanity in relation to God. Number three, a doctrine concerning the means of restoration and of maintaining communion with God. So what we just talked about, as he said, Mm -hmm. we just talked about God. We just talked about how we can have a relationship with him and then how we can be restored from whatever state we are in in order to have that relationship with him. We talked maybe last podcast about uh, the quote, uh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And we Mm -hmm. explained how how actually it's both. It's a a religious relationship. Yeah. And it contains those three points. And those three points, all of them involve revelation. Yeah, yeah. I uh, like how he gave gave us big buckets to to kind of put everything in. Okay, how do we, um, you know, understanding when you hear, oh, this guy wrote four volumes on this. You're just like, yeah, but I'm really only talking about these three things. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's exactly right. Yeah, it gives big buckets that we could put everything else in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't um, piece those things yeah. together. How you flip through his volume two talking about one of those three things yeah volume three same thing uh, in fact volume two just to just to give you a taste to give the listener a taste of of bob inc's four volumes volume two is going to be that first thing the doctrine of god volume three is going to be um really volume three is going to be or um volume four will be 
The second point, the doctrine of humanity in relation to God, specifically his church in relation to God, because volume four is on the Holy Spirit and the church. Uh, the, the last thing that he talks about in this bullet point from the quote that I just gave, um, the doctrine concerning the means of restoration and of maintaining communion with God. That's, that's a lot of volume three, mm-hmm. which there's some overlap between volume three and volume four, but in volume three, Bob Inc. talks about Christology, yeah, sin. So the thing that you need to be restored from, and then how you are restored from that thing through Christ. Um, yes, Danny, that's a really good point. Um, that sums up all of where he's about to go, and he sums it up even more simply than three points. It all has to do with revelation. Mm-hmm. Newsflash: We're not the ones that reveal anything in this. So it's all of. God's revelation. Yeah. That's good. He goes on. The next section, he starts to talk about um, revelation in theology and philosophy. He says this. Anyhow, the ideas of revelation came down to the following scheme God can only be known by God. All knowledge and service of God accordingly is rooted in revelation on his part. But the revelation of God in nature and history is sufficient is insufficient. Okay, so again we, we've talked about natural theology, revealed theology. Um he says here nature and history are insufficient means or modes, maybe, of revelation of God. Needed for that reason is a special supernatural revelation which begins immediately after the fall and reaches its zenith in Christ. For this religion that we have, this religion of Christianity, we need something more than nature and history. Yeah. Nature and history do testify to God. We can point to the glory of God through that. But we don't get to Christianity from those things. We get to Christianity from the promises that God made to Adam in the garden. Mm-hmm. We get Christianity, as Bob Inc. says, ultimately in Christ. I think of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3, through three, how he is the exact imprint of, of the Father's nature. He is the radiance of his glory. That is what our religion is founded on. That revelation. That is the pinnacle of the revelation. Now I want to I want to take this down to home and make this uh the 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 logical implication of this um pretty relatable. I, I like to I like to find the conclusion of things. Okay. If this then that means this. Okay, so if Christianity is inseparable from Revelation, then the Christian who never reads their Bible is an absolute anomaly. Yeah. And that's so prevalent in our day now. There, there are so many Christians who have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. And I say Christians, and, and I mean that I, I don't use air quotes. I'm not meaning nominal Christians. I mean far too many Christians who know better who haven't picked their Bible up in one, two, three, four, ten years in a deep, loving, 
um, religious, strenuous way. Outside of church. Exactly. You ask them what the book of Romans means. Eh. You know, the Christians who've been walking with the Lord for 30 years should be able to teach you a little bit about the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As Vody Bauckham gives an analogy of, you know, if you have somebody who's been building a house for 30 years, they should be able to teach you how to build a house. If somebody's been walking with the Lord for 30 years, they should be able to teach you how to walk with the Lord, how to grow, and how to know the Lord. But that's not by default. You get there, you get to the maturity of Christianity that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you understand that our religion is completely inseparable from the revelation that begins with Christ and works its way through the prophets and the apostles. Yeah, that uh, that brings to mind um, uh, the writer of Hebrews, <clears throat> probably probably Paul, but we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> Uh, Barnabas Hebrews 5:12 for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need uh, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God uh, that's that's getting what you're you're talking about Paul or whoever is writing to the Hebrew uh, Hebrew Christians and they're saying look by this point y'all should be teachers but I'm I'm having a co I'm having a do basic you know, come back, come back, and teach basic things. Um, you know, just what you're talking about brings that brings that to mind. Yeah. Let me let me go off on a little uh, a, a little rabbit trail here because I think it's of uh, because it relates to that quote you just you just read. Um, you see the need for uh, for revelation of God uh, um, immediately after the fall, Bavink says. It's because that, that uh, because communion between God and man was cut off at that point. When, when the Lord said, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Well, they ate and they didn't just drop dead. So what, what are the consequences there? What, what, what happened? Well, we, we know that eventually they died. Um, that um, in the in the in the pre-fall context, there wouldn't have been death. Adam Adam and Eve would not have experienced, or their offspring would not have experienced physical death. Um, but they did because because of the fall. The other thing that died was was their spiritual life. There's and that that happened instantly. They they fell spiritually. They fell. Uh, from communion with God in that moment, that did happen. Uh, that did happen at that moment, even though sometime after judgment, you know, judgment took place, uh, where the Lord judged the serpent and the woman and the man. Taylor Walls and I were talking several years ago, maybe three, four years ago, and we're he's he said he's going to write on this. Um. Uh, which would be cool 
but we were talking and I, I was asking him about this concept that I had. It's like, okay, we, we understand the, so go, but real quick, let's go back to the bobbing quote. Uh, so needed for that reason is a special supernatural revelation, which begins immediately after the fall and reaches its zenith in Christ. And so there's a need for special revelation. And then we get the person in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. We get, we get, um, uh, we get as full of a relate of, of revelation of the character and nature of God as we can get in Jesus Christ in a way that is um, in the best form of communication. Uh, God dwelled with us. God dwelled with man. Um, I forget what made me think of this, but several years ago, I thought about this concept, and I'm sure it's not original, but uh, I haven't read it anywhere. But we, so we understand a doctrine of of progressive revelation, and that, uh, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, God is God is building revelation of Himself. So, and this is what Bavink's talking about. There's a need for special revelation, and then we get that zenith, that zenith in Jesus Christ. And so, the Old Testament in general is pointing toward Christ, and we're getting further revelation of the Messiah along the way of the Old Testament, both the need of the Messiah, the need of a prophet, priest, and king, and also prophecy about about exactly what fulfill what what who is to fulfill that. I mean we we think about um you know cle- uh, key and clear uh prophecies of the Old Testament uh, uh pointing to Christ. And then in the New Testament, we get the fulfillment of that in, from the get-go in the Gospels of Jesus Christ and then the fruit and implications of that in the epistles and uh, in, the, in the epistles uh, of the New Testament. Okay, but running parallel with that, though, is a... So although, although Revelation is progressively getting clearer, God's acts of revelation in the old testament i think grow dim are decreasing from the garden to uh the end of the old testament and so while we're getting clearer it's it's like while we're getting clearer revelation or the revelation is building on one another where god god went from walking um the general pitch of the old testament is god went from walking with adam and eve in the garden of eden to silence after, you know, in our Old Testament, the book of Malachi. You have a period of silence between the Old and the New Testament. So God goes from walking or communicate, communing with them in the garden. Um, and then after that, he, he speaks directly to the, to the patriarchs, uh, early Old Testament history. Um, you know, he comes to... Um, you know, Noah comes to Abraham. Uh, he comes to Moses in the form of a, and and so instead of speaking kind of directly, he comes to he does speak directly, but he comes to Moses in a form of the burning bush. Um, uh, later, it's more like I'm thinking about prophets like Jeremiah and things like that. 
yes, they're still receiving some direct, you know, some direct revelation, but it becomes, it starts to become much more sparse. And sometimes it's not, um, um, you know, sometimes it's not direct audible, um, you know, direct audible communication from God, but it's, uh, eating by the spirit in the old Testament. Um, you know, without wanting to take too long on this, but basically I kind of developed a, a train of thought in my mind that, okay, the form of revelation being God's, uh, God's communion or interaction is actually decreasing throughout the Old Testament. And then what we have is silence. So it goes from, again, God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, all, and then at that point, begins basically like a fader that God's fading out of uh, it's not that he's withdrawing from the world but his revelation is starting to put puts on a fader where by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament canon God is silent uh, for a few hundred years and then the New Testament explodes with the zenith of God's God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Um, so I thought that was pretty, um, that's just a train of thought that I thought significant. That, um, And I think that God's revelation fades with Israel's rejection, rejection mm. of him throughout the Old Testament. And then we see that, so the need for revelation started right after the fall, and then we get its culmination in Christ. And it, and that that's also true in how the Lord is revealing himself and providing revelation throughout the Old Testament and then kind of explodes with it on the scene after years of silence in the new, bringing redemption. It's, it's his, restora- his, his lack of silence is a sign of redemption. His mm. lack of silence now is a sign of, is a sign of uh, restora- restoring man to himself. Yeah. Yeah, and doing it once and for all. In the person of Christ, this is also a side note too. But as you're talking, it made me think of you know this this progressive revelation. I haven't thought of that. First off, I haven't thought of what you said. Haven't noticed that. Makes me curious because I'm reading through the Book of Judges now. Makes me curious because there's a lot of rebellion there, mm-hmm. and so tracing the the downward um, transition of decreasing, you know, that action of revelation. I'd like to see that. Um, also this, you know, you, you think, so it begins in the garden, works its way all the way to the zenith of Christ. So as you're saying that I would take it, the more that it progresses to Christ, the less the action is, but nonetheless we still have that progression of Christ in history, just historically. The um, tr- so I would say that the, the truth of Christ is increasing. Yes, but God's acts of revelation uh, de- decrease over the course of the Old Testament. Mm. In gen- in general, it goes from communion again. It goes from communion in the garden to silence, and it's it's like a, a a a graph, a chart graph, or whatever it's called. You know, it's going up and down, but in a downward trajectory. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as you were saying that, it made me realize just kind of the triune work of this revelation. Think about this. So 
we as Christians look at the Pharisees and we look at the disciples and we say, how did you, how could you miss that brother? How, how could you miss that? It's right before your eyes. How, how could you miss the, um, the fact that you know, all of the old Testament points to what you're seeing? How do you yeah. miss it? Yeah. Well, truth is they still needed the triune work of God in revealing this. And what I mean is Luke 24, they needed Christ to teach them the Old Testament specifically, clearly, hey, this pointed to me, this pointed to me, this pointed to me. They also needed the work of the Spirit in illuminating their minds in order to see this. So Christianity is inseparable from revelation. Specifically, it is inseparable from the triune revelation. So we need the Father. We need the covenant-keeping Father. We need the Son that the Father has sent to be that perfect revelation, that exact imprint of God. And we also need the Spirit revealing these things to our minds, not revealing some different truths, but regenerating us, restoring us, so that we can see this revelation yeah. with loving hearts because yeah. you know we, we can see the revelation of God all man can see some sort of revelation of the one true God but the the problem is is that they are standing in a fallen state mm-hmm. a ruined state and they can even hear of the special revelation they can hear it they can hear the gospel preached they can they can sense this revelation but without the work of God revealing these things inwardly to their consciousness they don't get it. They don't see it. We have Dr. Strand in the building. <laughs> Good morning, Dr. Strand. So. No, that, that's great stuff. The, 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 um, yes, the Trinitarian work of understanding of, of God revealing and even doing the work of, uh, kind of turning on the spiritual light bulbs in our own soul in order to understand, receive, and obey his revelation. Yeah, yeah. That's the Holy Spirit's work for the Christian of illumination. It's, it's, it's bringing to light the scripture on the page. Quick, quick story, and then we can get to our next couple quotes. I was speaking with a, uh, or Ariel and I was shopping at the mall one time. This is what we did before we had kids. <laughs> and, uh, there was, uh, you know, we were just stroke up conversation with somebody and, um, you know, a, a natural thing that a lot of people, you know, end up asking, I think pastors have cheat codes when it comes to evangelism or spiritual conversations because all people, you know, a natural question for somebody asks is like, oh, well, what do you do? I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And then it's a immediate, immediate uh, conversation, or opens an immediate door where oh, they're, they're they're inclined to talk about you know their church or whether they're a Christian or not, or or sometimes it can get awkward where they don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> or to get to oh yeah, well tell me about the problem of evil, man. <laughs> the uh, uh, but oftentimes, oftentimes it strikes up a spiritual conversation. And it did, and it did this time. And anyway, through the conversation, uh, this person, uh, you know, this person was 
talking about, I forget how we got on the subject, but they, they basically came to this statement. They're like, yeah, uh, the sermon is where basically I learn how to improve my life, but I hear from the Holy Spirit during the worship. And that's the that's the time that we hear from the Holy Spirit and the sermon is where basically we get we get wisdom and application for life. I was like, well, um, yeah, but, but you know, I I just kind of pitched it a different way, and um, you know, we weren't I wasn't arguing or having a debate or anything like that. I just said, well, you know, I, I think about it a little bit differently. If we want to hear from the Holy Spirit, because that's the the context in which she was talking about it. Oh well. You know, when I want to hear from the Holy Spirit or, or really get kind of led by the Holy Spirit, I do that during, you know, that's that get that to get the Holy Spirit basically is during the during the time of worship. And that's kind of, a you know, this isn't, you know, a podcast isn't designed for this, but that's that's kind of a um, more charismatic idea, I'll, I'll just say. Um. Anyway, I challenge, I challenge her and said this. Well, okay. Uh, the if the Holy Spirit is the one who has uh, authored the scriptures by uh, it's it's that the biblical writers were were carried on by um, as um, uh, uh, as Peter writes, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't the sermon the preach word be the time that you hear from the from the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. as that's the word that the Holy Spirit has written. Um, to try to just get her thinking in a different paradigm, bit different different categories, and I bring that up to say that the Spirit works in His Word that He has inspired. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the way that the Spirit works and communicates and and opens our eyes, turns on the light bulbs of our soul, uh, to these things. And and so the the spirit is going to, um, not in a way that the word isn't living by itself because God has that, that's part of the inspiration of scriptures, but it's inspired again. It's inspired by the spirit, and um, it brings to life. It you know it brings it to life. It it makes a living word in the Christian life. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah, man, that's good. It's really good. I'm glad you went down that road because it reminded me of a passage of Scripture. You and I have talked about doctrine a lot, the necessity of doctrine for the Christian. Not that we have to do it, but we get to do it. And the believer, da-da-da-da-da-da. You, you said in the last podcast, no, you said in one podcast, Jesus is Lord is doctrine. Yeah. Okay, so... We were able to say that because God revealed himself. And in the zenith of his revelation, Christ revealed himself as Lord. But you still cannot declare that doctrinally true statement without the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. As Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, you can't say Jesus is accursed by the Holy Spirit. And you cannot say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. So and, and and by that, um, obviously by that, Paul's Paul's meaning you can't say it and mean it, right? Yeah, you it, you can't say it as a confession or say it as a 
as, as a statement of conviction. Yes, yes, good clarification, yes. And, and, and two, when we say God revealing himself, you know, at the end of the day, we also see, when we say God, we're, it's like with the church father that said this, I believe it was Basil that said this. When I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah. So God revealing himself. If God is revealing himself in the sermon, better believe the Holy Spirit is at work there. Mm-hmm. So you cannot at all, which that is a very prevalent statement, the one that you just shared. Yeah. And it's not just in the the, the classified charismatic churches. Right, right. I mean, you find it in Baptist churches. The 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 scene before the sermon where they turn the lights off and praying. Oh, that that's to the Holy Spirit that they're hearing the Holy Spirit speak. And then as the sermon comes along, okay, that's Christ. And da 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 da. No, no. Any time we're dealing with revelation, it is the Triune God that is revealing Himself to us. I think you're giving us a foreshadowing of the next book that we're going to be reading through from the sounds of it. Well, we can't tease that yet. <laughs> we might change our minds. We, as we have already <laughs> several times. We're in the works on that, though. Okay, so we have a little bit of time left. I, I want to talk about the last train of thought that Bob Inc. has in this chapter, and it leads us to the idea of presuppositionalism. Um, he He talks on page... Um, I did not have a page number for this, but I I have it written down here. He says this. Actually, here it is on page 297. Um, But if God has created the world and by his providence still maintains and governs it, the implication is that he is absolutely elevated above the world and can use it in the manner it pleases him. In that case, both creation and and providence are proof that God can and wants to reveal himself. The world in that scenario is not a second God, not an anti-divine power that is unwilling or unfit to incorporate divinity into itself, but an instrument fashioned by God himself to reveal his glory and by it to make himself known to human beings. Also, this last point cannot be denied by theism, if there truly exists a revelation of God, then it also has the purpose, even if it is not the sole purpose, that human beings will learn to know God from it and will love and serve him from that revelation. So two things. Number one, creation. That there is a creation. Number two, providence, that there is a history, is not some neutral, free-hanging, empty fact. But the fact that there are those two things shows that there is a God, not only that there is a God who's just chilling up in the third heaven somewhere as deism paints it, but a God who is active in his creation. So not Mm -hmm. only did he create, but he is still active in his creation with providence. Right. And he does that for a reason. He doesn't just do that for humanity's common good, though that is the case with common grace. But he does that for his own glory as an act of revelation that he be known. 
by his creation. Mm. And he reveals himself specially, supernaturally, so that, as Bob Inc. says, we would know him from it and love him and serve him. So all of creation, number one, all of creation is for the revelation of God. Right. Number two, all of Christ is for the revelation of God. That leads us to the idea of presuppositionalism because we can say, and as Christians, we do not forfeit that idea. When we're talking to the non-believer, the atheist, whoever it may be, the non-Christian, we do not forfeit the idea that the triune God creates and preserves all things and has given his son for the revelation of himself. In fact, we view the world that way. Um, we view the world in Colossians chapter 1, understanding that the world is upheld by Christ. Yeah. We view the world as Hebrews chapter 1, understanding that Christ has revealed God, that there is no argument, there mm-hmm. is no debate. Christ mm-hmm. is the perfect revelation of that. And Christ is the one that upholds the unbeliever's world. Yeah. Number three, the very fact that we have this intellect, John chapter 1, is a work of the Lagos, the Christ. And he concludes, he, he concludes this chapter with that logical implication, which is the impossibility of scientific neutrality. First off, he says revelation is not a philosophical, but a religious category. Yeah. Let's remember that in this day and age. Religion, however, is not a philosophical but religious, or revelation, excuse me, not a philosophical, but a religious category. And I'll add to that, you do not need philosophy in order to properly interpret this revelation, according to Bob Inc. Mm-hmm. But he goes on and he, he says this, but a science that, driven by free uh, convictions of course and not by coercion, a science that allies itself with the Christian faith will be able to do more and labor more energetically for the spiritual and intellectual unity of humankind. Flipping over, he concludes this chapter by saying this. This method that we're doing, which proceeds from the premise of faith and is actually applied by everyone at once, affords those who take their position in the Christian faith the immense advantage that they do not a priori established by their own thinking what revelation is. Instead, they seek the answer to question in the words and facts that in Christianity present themselves as constituents of revelation and are recorded in Holy Scripture. They proceed to do their work positively, not speculatively. They do not dictate to God whether and how he may reveal himself, but listen to what God himself has to say on the matter. Mm. It's God's world, God's revelation, and he determines the means and the rules for both. And I want to give you a quick quote from Herman Bobink in his work titled Christian Worldview as it relates to this. He says, and it, that is the knowledge of science or you know knowledge at all, and this knowledge will be capable of explanation only if it allows itself to be illumined by the wisdom of the divine word, which sets on our lips the confession of God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
This confession is not only the first article of our Christian faith, but also the foundation and cornerstone of all knowledge and science. So let me connect it to because God has revealed himself. If we do not start with God, we cannot truly know anything. Right. Yeah. He says this on the on this Christian standpoint, all autonomy of the human mind falls away as if it could produce truth out of its own reason and through its own means. Mm. Again, capping it off. Because of the things that Bobbing says about revelation, because man cannot escape from the revelation of God, whether it be general or, or special, mm-hmm. the man is not left to himself to come up with some sort of good, true, eternal knowledge. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I like the um, I like his phrase there. Uh, uh, that they do not dictate to God whether and how He may reveal Himself, but listen to what God Himself has to say on that matter. Mm. Um, so our attitude toward uh, understanding God, which is what a theology, what, um what Bavink's trying to do or put forth in Reformed dogmatics. He's saying we can't do this with the attitude and therefore, you know, our Christians trying to understand God through teaching, through the scriptures and through teaching. Our attitude shouldn't be one, can't be one of critical skepticism. Mm. Uh, We can't um, be trying to find the holes in God's revelation. Uh, that's not the attitude in that which we are supposed to uh, listen to the Lord, hear from God, or understand his revelation. Uh, but we do their, uh, Bavink said, uh, they proceed to do their work positively, not speculatively. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a positive understanding or putting forth or it's a disposition or attitude of um believing god from the outset yes so it's a it's a believing pursuit of the knowledge of god yes and that's a that's a fundamental that's a fundamental difference that's a key that's a key attitude to have um someone put it uh it may have been it may have been john owen someone put it um, uh, puts forth saying that we need to have a hermeneutic of obedience. Mm. Like, okay, we need to have a disposition of part of understanding is obeying. Yeah, um, and that's that. I think that's related to what Bobbing's saying here. Yeah, that's good. And we're not chasing rabbits when we say this because it all connects. No matter what, because of the work of God, the Christian is a Christian. Yep. And cannot become yeah. unchristian in any conversation. Because they are a Christian, they are inseparable from the revelation of God. Because they are inseparable from the revelation of God, <clears throat> they cannot be speculative in any way. They already know because God has revealed it. Yeah. And because the Christian has this revelation, 
that is inseparable from his religion, he never will give up that revelation in any conversation with anybody about things of God, about any true knowledge. So you do not, what I mean is you do not give up the Bible when you're talking with someone who does not believe the Bible. As Bonson would say, you've lost from the very beginning if you do that. Right, right. And Bobby clearly gives us the conclusion, the logical conclusion to the truth. If you believe Christianity is inseparable from special revelation, you must believe that you always positively, faithfully examine all knowledge. Yeah, yeah. There's no neutrality in this. That's, that's good, man. But Danny, as always, has been good. It's forced me to dig deeper. And in Bob Inc., you have a prayer meeting coming up, so it's time to conclude. Until next time, CD, D2, recorded and direct on this Thursday from the Classic Cast, where we just roll with it.